your congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, and we'll begin reading at verse 20, Hebrews 13, begin reading at verse 20, and we'll read through verse 25. You can find it on page 1385 in your pew Bible. Um, I'm not sure I recognize that the bulletin um, mentioned in Hebrews 11, I maybe uh, sent it in uh, with a typo, um, but it is Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 25, so I'm not sure if the right passage will be up for us, but uh, Hebrews 13 you can find on page 1385. Let us hear God's word. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation that I have written to you in a few words knowing that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the end of this epistle to the Hebrews One thing I've recognized as we've had the privilege of being able to dig into this epistle for basically a whole year now, and to be able to exposit it from verse to verse, from chapter to chapter, and as we come to the end, and looking back over the last year, I recognize that this epistle is one that is very well executed linguistically. And it all fits together and it drives home specific themes. And sometimes we, we might say we, 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 we really enjoy watching a well-executed game of golf or participating in a well-executed game of golf. And some of us appreciate that more than others, I realize. But... Uh, Sometimes we appreciate those straight, long drives and those accurate chip shots and those precise putts that sink right into the cup. And you say, that was a well-executed game of golf. Well, in a similar way, the author to Hebrews has executed his linguistic style and all the truths that he has is setting forth in way of exhortation to these Hebrew Christians and to us today, and we see it as a well-executed linguistic piece of an epistle. And as he goes from hole to hole, we have seen that those long drives of doctrinal exhortation as He lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ as the only mediator, the One who is greater than the angels, greater than all the prophets, priests, and kings. He is the mediator of the new covenant. And He sets forth these doctrines in long, sweeping drives. 
as He accurately targets our hearts with these chip shots, as it were, chipping away at our human reasoning, chipping away at our error and our weakness, warning us of the dangers of not following the Lord Jesus Christ, and then taking those precise pots as He nails those truths home and sinks those truths home in way of personal application. And now as He comes to the end, the conclusion of this epistle, the conclusion of the course, He sinks the final pot that is really a testimony of a game that is done in par excellence with the doxology benediction and a final appeal. And so that's what I want to look at the, the conclusion of Hebrews. A doxological benediction and a final appeal. First of all then, as we conclude this epistle to the Hebrews, we find this doxological benediction. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then the final, very final words, grace be with you all. Amen. When we think about benediction, children, do you know when we have a benediction in the worship service? It's right near the end of our worship service. It's at the end of our worship service. As the minister raises his hands and he, he may even use this passage sometimes. Or he may use the ironic blessing or another blessing from 2 Corinthians. Or Many of these benedictions conclude epistles. And that's why we have these benedictions even at the end of our worship service. And what would be the best conclusion to a worship service, a well-ordered, executed worship service, is very this, the very same conclusion to a well-executed epistle. And it's God's glory. It sets before us the glory of who God is and a confirmation of His strengthening grace and His amazing love. And especially for these Christians that have been impacted by Judaism and persecution, what great encouragement this must have been for them to hear these words as this epistle concludes. But what encouragement there is also for us as we receive the benediction from worship service to worship service following this pattern of the apostolic epistles. Just consider with me how rich these benedictions are. They're not some kind of wish or a hope that's not tied and grounded in something. These are divine pronouncements. 
pronouncements that come from God. Grace be with you all. Peace be to you. The love of God be with you. These are pronouncements from God. And as the minister pronounces these Old and New Testament assurances of divine love, God is sending us out those doors into this world knowing that we are being equipped to live and perform our daily tasks in His strength. He pronounces His blessing upon us as we return to our homes and live our lives within our families. He pronounces His blessing upon us as He equips us for service in His church and in the world around us in His kingdom. Certainly, this should give us great comfort, great encouragement as we face even our daily challenges and struggles and temptations. This is what God wants us to hear as He concludes this epistle to the Hebrews. Well, let's break down this very pronouncement of God. Verse 20, Now may the God of peace, the God of peace, What does that mean? That God is peace. That means that God is eternally at peace within His own triune being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in a relationship of peace. True peace. Shalom, the Bible, the biblical Hebrew word is for it. And it's more than just some kind of absence of conflict, meaning there's no conflict between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's more than just being tranquil or in a certain type of repose. But no, it is, it is true peace that includes completeness, soundness, a wholeness about Himself. God is peace. The Father of peace, who sent the Son of His love, the Son of peace, to be an offering for our sin. And He reconciles us to God through the Spirit of peace. There's there's nothing so profound as, as to call God the God of peace. Shalom. And He becomes our peace through the Prince of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, how he goes on. Who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. This peace has come and it's grounded on that everlasting covenant of God. That blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the Prince of Peace. All all the Old Testament. All of the sacrifices pointed to peace, but never gave any peace. After the sacrifices, the priest would come out and give the ironic blessing for the people. But there was never peace. There needed to be one more sacrifice and another sacrifice until the blood of the everlasting covenant, the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, comes and He dies a sinner's death to seal 
once and for all the blood of this covenant. And it comes through this person. This person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. The one who is called the good shepherd. The one who never leaves his sheep according to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself in John chapter 10. He is that chief shepherd. This great shepherd of the sheep. It's Him. The Lord Jesus Christ in His person. But also a testimony of God's power in raising Him from the dead and confirming to us and securing to us that indeed His covenant is absolutely certain. His promises, His Word, His work is absolutely certain. The God of peace who has promised you and who has accomplished peace for you, He tells you to go forth with His blessing at the end of this epistle. He confirms it with His power and His grace. The power and grace of His peace. But as He calls us to go forth, blessing us, He also sends us forth, equipping us and enabling us. Notice this, as the Holy Spirit equips us unto good works. He says, this God of peace who's given the Lord Jesus Christ the blood of the everlasting covenant, the great shepherd, and has raised Him from the dead, He will make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. This word, He making you complete. He makes you complete. It could be stated as equipping you for every good work. Or perfecting you for every good work. To make you whole and to mend you unto every good work. To make you complete in every good work. I think of a, a plumber who has his toolbox. He wants to make sure that his plumber has all the right tools for the job that he's going to do. His, his, he needs a complete toolbox for the work that he's going to do. And he needs tools that work after all. You get to a job site and there's nothing more frustrating, I'm sure, is, is when you, you pull out the, the saw and, and it, it, it won't work. You, you want the right tools and you want tools that work. And this is, this is what this word is referring to. He's equipping you with the right tools, effective tools, unto every good work to do His will. This word is used... Uh, for the fishermen, we think of Matthew 4 as the, as the disciples were mending their nets. They were fixing their nets so that they would be effective at catching the fish. They were completing these nets so that the fish wouldn't escape. This word is also used by Paul in Galatians when he talks about restoring a brother uh, to, to put him into an effective place, equipping him in the body of Christ. We are indeed equipped, made perfect in every good work to do His will. We are equipped for it by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. But not only are we equipped, we are enabled. Enabled. 
As he says, as he works in us what is pleasing in his sight. He enables us to do what he calls us to do as he blesses us and sends us forth with this epistle. He enables us to do the task, his will, and what is well pleasing in his sight. You see, what he's referring here to is God is recreating us. We become his workmanship as we find in Ephesians 2. Created unto Christ Jesus unto good works. And we are enabled then by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's working in us. It's God who is enabling us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Philippians 2. And so when He recreates us, He recreates us to do what He's created us to do. If you had a fish and you take it out of water, it's going to die. What God does when He creates a Christian, it's as if it were He takes the fish and puts it into water so it swims and it thrives. And so a Christian who is recreated in the image of God into the family of God and to the service of God. He has created Him for such a person. And not only does He equip Him, He enables Him to live that Christian life what is well-pleasing in His sight. That's God's amazing grace. And when we hear that pronouncement of His blessing, we know His equipping and enabling grace so that He receives all the honor and all the glory forever and ever. That's how it concludes. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Much like Paul in Romans 11, for of Him and through Him and unto Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We glorify Him for His peace. We glorify Him for His desire to bless us with peace. And we take delight in Him as the God of peace. We glorify Him for His eternal covenant and His love. And we adore Him for what He has done for us by shedding His blood. We adore Him for His sealing power of His resurrection. We adore Him and bless Him because He gives us new life and new hearts to serve Him in a covenantally faithful way. We glorify Him for giving us the Good Shepherd to shepherd us and to lead us, to comfort us. We glorify Him because as a Good Shepherd, He gave His life for us, His sheep. We glorify Him because He's equipped and enabled us indeed to do His will even in the midst of all of the challenges and difficulties of this life. And we praise Him and we say, Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear congregation, this teaches us, as we are blessed by God and His benediction, that God's peace is with you 
and in you when we believe in Him, the God of peace. I think of Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, the Lord tells us, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. God wants you to know I've given you thoughts of peace. I've given you a purpose and a plan of peace. And not evil. My plan for you and my thoughts for you are to give you a future and a hope. When you call upon Me, I will listen to you. And when you seek Me, you will find Me. And when you search for Me with all your heart, indeed, you will find Me and I will be found of you. And you will be found in peace. Shalom. Jesus Himself, He comes with the words of peace to His conflicted, doubting, questioning disciples. And He says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace be with you. Through this we can know God's eternal love is for us. And if His great eternal love and His covenantal love is for us, then I ask you, as Paul does in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He sends us forth with His love, with His peace, and His plan for us in life. He's telling us, you can go out and execute my plan and my thoughts for you by my grace when you go forth enabled and equipped by my Spirit. Because in the new covenant, I have put my laws in your mind. I have written them in your heart. And I will be your God and you will be my people, says the Lord. And that produces in us Praise for God. Confess, confessing lips from the very depths of our heart as we seek to live to His glory. And we say, Amen. So let it be. And if you were listening for the word Amen, you thought now we are at the end. That's usually... When we would end a worship service, right? But the author stops and says, ah, just one more thing. One final appeal. I want to slip this in. And we hear this final appeal in verse 22. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom... I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. 
Grace be with you all. Amen. Very interesting final appeal to the Hebrews who received this epistle. Bear with this word of exhortation, my beloved brothers and sisters. Notice, first of all, his address there to them. I appeal to you, brother, brethren, brothers and sisters in the Lord, the family of God, you who are in the body of Christ and have the same relationship I have with our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, this God of peace. I appeal to you, bear with this word of exhortation. You see, this, this word to bear with is, is, is to come alongside, to, to endure it and, and take it to heart. This word is actually, actually the same, same root word as that of the paraclete, the one who Jesus promised, the, the Spirit, the Helper who will come. And, and as the Spirit comes and gives gifts also to, to men, to the author of Hebrews, he says, bear with this. Bear with us. Endure it. Take it to heart. Take these words, these few words, and implement them in your lives. He's saying to us and to them, these have been challenging words. Words that you're going to have to bear with. I think back on the, on the past year that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. It's interesting that it's addressed every single season of ministry. I think of when we had Advent weeks and how beautifully Hebrews 2 fit into preparation to remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of how the center section of Hebrews fits so beautifully into remembering the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's addressed the seasons of ministry. It's addressed the challenges of ministry. It's addressed our views of worship and how to live by faith and brotherly love and, and marriage and contentment and relationship with church leaders and so on. They, and some of them have been hard words, pointed messages directly pointed at the heart, crying out to us, don't harden your heart, but believe these truths. Hear Him who speaks from heaven and trust in Him and believe Him. Look to Him, the author and finisher of our faith, and run the race that is set before you looking to Jesus. It says, Bear with this word of exhortation. This short, pointed message that we all need to hear. Just a side note here. The author says this is written in a few words. If you were to read this epistle, it would be about an hour long. About an hour long if you were to read it aloud from beginning to end. 
And, and I, I have to confess that the only regret I have in preaching through Hebrews is that we didn't begin the first service with reading Hebrews from Hebrews 1 through Hebrews 13. I think it would have been greatly blessed. I remember being at a conference one time and, and someone res, from recited Philippians from memory and, and just spoke it to us. And it was powerful. The epistles in the New Testament are Powerful, and some of them were almost like reading sermons. And that, that's probably what they were. It was meant to, to lead that church in worship. That particular Lord's Day. And here, he says, I have written to you in a few words. A few words. Bear with these words. Take them to heart. Have you taken the words of this epistle to heart? Do you hear Him who speaks from heaven? Do you believe Him who speaks from heaven? Do you trust Him who speaks from heaven? Then you have taken these words to heart. But if you have hardened your heart, know the hard message of the end of those who do not take it to heart. God doesn't fool around as we've seen in this epistle to Hebrews. He judges righteously and rightly examining the heart. And that's why He warns us so earnestly and directs us so graciously and lovingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear Him who speaks from heaven. But as we've seen throughout the epistle to Hebrews, he's not only interested in this particular congregation and doesn't want this particular congregation to be only interested in themselves, but rather the international church family. He wants them to leave with this benediction going outside of these four walls, going out into the world with this benediction and this word of exhortation. And so he includes here, know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Why is this all included? Why does he say, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints and those in Italy greet you? Why is this included here after this benediction? And what's God saying to us that it's included here in His inspired Word? He's saying to us there are real people with real situations, with real challenges, in real places. 
And I want you to be concerned about them. I want them to be on your heart because you are one in the Lord. And in the Lord, you are called to be one international family of God. And so he says, consider Timothy. Our brother Timothy has been set free. And he's excited about that. Because Timothy, we don't know exactly why he was in prison, why he was set free from prison. We don't even know why he was incarcerated. Very likely, though, for the sake of the Gospel. And now he's able to join the author and the two of them hope to come to these Hebrew churches together. What an encouragement. God's sovereign control over all peoples and over all situations in all places is a testimony here that Timothy is released. Praise be to God. He wants them to know this. And they hope to see them shortly. Maybe we can think about this. Do we pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ? For those who are imprisoned, do we care about them? Do we identify with them as those who are in Christ? Do we bear their burdens with them as bound with them in prison? You can look up the statistics for yourself. Brother Pennings has addressed... Um, directed us to that uh, not only a few weeks ago in a worship service. The persecuted church and, and how throughout this world there really has ever been the numbers of persecution. Just give you an alarming statistic. One out of seven Christians in this world today are persecuted for their faith. Not just inconvenienced for their faith, but persecuted for their faith. Especially in Islam countries, in countries where there's authoritarian governments, this is a real legitimate concern in this world. Are we bearing with our Christians throughout this world praying for them and rejoicing to see God's work in the midst of that persecution. Giving thanks to God for our freedoms, but also not taking them for granted. Are we praying, Lord, maybe it's good for us to also be afflicted. To see your hand and your power and your sovereign grace. Timothy's been set free. We hope to see you shortly. Praise be to God. But he doesn't want it to all be about himself and Timothy. He wants them to think, no, it's, it's about the local church. The local church in the international context. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. We are one in the Lord. And God has given you those to rule over you. This is the third time in this chapter he's brought this up. 
emphasizing the responsibility and the stewardship of those who teach us and to lead us spiritually and our responsibility to them. Greet them in the Lord. Encourage them in the Lord. And from Italy, here we greet you as churches. It's probably happened here as churches have cropped up throughout Italy. Not just in Rome, but here the author is sending greetings to this church from the churches in Italy. And if this is all about real people in real places and real situations, you would imagine that in this verse there would be the signature of the apostle who wrote it. But there's not. There's many compelling reasons to think that it would be Paul, the Apostle Paul, someone who is well-known, someone who ministered with Timothy, one who ministered extensively also in Italy, was in prison in Rome, but it doesn't say signed by Paul. It's not like our reading service began with, and this sermon was prepared by so-and-so, or at the end of the service we say this sermon was written by so-and-so. It's not signed. And so let's just leave it there. Because it's signed by God Himself. It's signed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The One who binds His people together in His universal church in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's greeting us, giving us peace, working in us, comforting us, leading us as a shepherd of the sheep. And he does so through the according to the eternal gracious covenant that he has signed in his own blood. And as you watch that golf ball drift slowly to the hole, It sinks right into the hole as he says, Grace be with you all. Amen. What fitting words. Grace be with you all. There's nothing more precious than to end a letter knowing God's undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing upon those who receive it in faith. Grace be with you all. The whole letter is all about grace and the grace of the new covenant that has been sealed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who have been saved by grace through faith will endure all circumstances because of the grace of God. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the conclusion of this epistle to the the Hebrews, Hebrew Christians who were confronted by many challenges. Their own families, 
the challenges of legalism and Judaism, the challenges of other Gospels, the challenges of persecution, the same challenges that we have in our own hearts, hearts that are hard by nature. And yet, O Lord, You have given us and them an epistle that has driven home the truths of Your Word and brought them so close to us. That Word has been in our ears. It's been on our tongues, O Lord. It's entered into our minds. Oh God, be pleased to grant that Word to break our hard hearts. That the One who speaks from heaven would send forth the Spirit to break us and to dwell in us, recreating us unto good works. To be Your workmanship. to be Christians living in the environment of the family of God. Oh God, be pleased then to give us an appreciation for Your family throughout this world. We think of those who are enduring natural disasters, who are suffering from the effects of war, who are persecuted, imprisoned, who have given their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that You would take away all of our insensitivity and give us hearts to understand and realize that the world is against Your anointed, And that those who are against You, Lord, that You will ultimately triumph over. May our hope be steadfast in Your sovereign control, in Your power. And may we go forth in Your strength with your blessing, grace, and peace be with you all from the God of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing.